You're listening to Straight from the Heart, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia. Our teacher here on Straight from the Heart is Senior Pastor Joe Foch. We're currently in the New Testament going verse by verse through the book of Mark. On today's broadcast, we'll continue our study beginning in chapter 6. Before we finish, I'll give you some additional information so you can contact us with any questions or comments. But first, open your Bible to Mark chapter 6 and let's join Pastor Joe as he continues. Matthew chapter 6, we have come as far as verse 7 where it says that he called unto him the 12 and he began to send them forth by two and two and he gave them power over unclean spirits. We have more information in chapter 10 about some of these things. Here it says he began to send them apostello where we get apostle from and the apostles were those that were sent Forth, he began to send them forth two by two, and he gave them power over unclean spirits. Now, power there is not dunamis that um, we have written in regards to our walk with him in the book of Acts, that we would wait in Jerusalem until we would be endued with power, dunamis from on high. This is exousia, it's a different word, never given to us. It is the royal right. It is bequeathed upon them because the king is in their midst. It's even given to Judas Iscariot. It is the royal right because it's handed to them by him to raise the dead, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to do miracles. And it isn't dependent upon them. It is something he gives to them, sending them out as forerunners in his own ministry. And we don't see it again, really, until we see it given to the Antichrist to do all lying signs and wonders. It is given him, exousia, the authority allowed of the Lord to perform miracles. But here, given to the disciples. When Jesus returns, it's with all power and authority in all royal authority. But here, he gives them power over unclean spirits. And he commands them that they should take nothing for their journey except their staff, no script, no extra money, no, don't pack up a cooler full of food, um, no extra money, but be shod with your sandals, put on your shoes, don't put on two coats. The idea is take one. And he's sending them out. Look, the 12 are being trained. We're about a year from his crucifixion here in Mark's gospel. Many of them will find these circumstances through the book of Acts. Many of them will be driven out of Jerusalem. Many missionaries through the centuries have found themselves in these circumstances without extra change of clothes, without being able to take extra supply of food with them, going out in the name of the Lord and learning in the school of experience that they can trust him. And he sends them out this way. And he said unto them, in what place soever you enter into a house, there abide 
till you depart from that place. In other words, you come into a town, a village, they're hospitable. Um, they've heard of me. They heard, they know you're my disciples. Uh, don't go in somebody's home and find out, you know, they're making chicken, but two houses down, the people that wanted you to come have a big standing rib roast in the oven and you've decided to leave this house to go there. Don't do that wherever you go, settle in, be content with what they give you, what they bless you with, be disciples, be that testimony and stay there, abide there till you depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when you depart from there, now he, he does something interesting. He says, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. The Jews understood this well. If they would go into Lebanon, they would go into Syria. When they came back into what they considered the Holy Land, they would always shake at the border of the country the Gentile dust off of their shoes so as not to pollute the Holy Land with dirt from a Gentile territory. Jesus says to them, if you go into a village or a town and they won't hear you, they won't listen to what you say, on your way out, stop and shake off the dust of your feet as a testimony against them, which, which would of course shock them because his kingdom was not just relegated to geography. Shake off the dust of your feet as a testimony against them. And verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Now, by the way, he hasn't asked us to do that. I know Christians who have had that attitude of shaking the dust off against somebody. Look, this is the plain truth. Some people are going to be receptive. Some people are going to be hostile. He said in this day where you go, some villages, some are going to be more receptive. Some are going to be hostile. Some people are going to receive you. Some people are going to be antagonistic, but he's sending them with exousia. He's sending them with all of the authority to prove that their message is from heaven. And they were, those people were, were watching miracles, seeing remarkable things take place, the dead being raised, demons being cast out, lepers being cleansed. And he says, those who won't receive you then, when you leave, shake off the dust, because it's going to be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah, who had less of a testimony than for that city. And they went out and they preached, notice that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and they anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Now it's an interesting note here, by the way, take note that demonic possession and illness are two distinct problems are not the same thing. In fact, as we go through the gospels, they use the word lunatic or moonstruck, and that's different than demon possession. You know, some people like to throw it all in the same bag. That's not true. Um, this is the only place in the Gospels where it says they anointed the sick with oil and prayed for them. We hear of praying for the sick. James, the Lord's half-brother, tells us that uh, any of you sick, let them call for the elders, let them come. And it, and it really, it's interesting, it's oiling them with oil. You get all oiled. But it says the prayer of faith will raise up the sick, not the oil. But if someone, you know, comes here to us after service and asks to be anointed, we keep oil up here. If that is going to be a focal point of their faith to be exercised, we're, we're happy to do that. But the oil 
you know, whether it's Wesson or olive oil or, you know, the, the oil doesn't accomplish anything. It's an act of faith or obedience to the word of God, certainly. But it's the prayer of faith that raises up those that are sick. But this is the one place in the four gospels that actually talks about anointing with oil many that were sick. And again, you'll find it in James in a bit of a different context. Kings were anointed with oil and it wasn't the oil that brought God's anointing on them. That was symbolic of the anointing coming on their life of the Holy Spirit. When Samuel anointed David as king, it wasn't the oil that made him king. That was a symbolic act of the fact that the Holy Spirit was coming on his life. When the priests were installed, they were anointed with oil. It wasn't the oil. It was the anointing of God that was symbolized in that. And here we're not exactly clear, uh, and Mark doesn't give us detail, why he mentions anointing with oil, many that were sick, and healed them. But we're glad to do that if folks ask for it. And uh, certainly we have biblical precedent to do it. Now, their ministry was far and wide. It wasn't, you know, we go by here in a, f in a few verses, but imagine you have six pairs of guys now. There were 12 disciples, six different teams go out. The, the, now no, it's not just neat Jesus. Now it's these teams raising the dead, healing the sick, cleansing lepers, casting out demons. And the repercussions are rumbling through the whole area. And as Jesus then is coming behind them, villages are receptive, areas are receptive because the disciples have been through preaching the kingdom. The word spreads all the way to Herod Antipas here. It says, King Herod heard of him, of Jesus, for his name was spread abroad. And he said... In his heart, the idea is that John the Baptist was risen from the dead and therefore mighty works to show forth themselves in him. Now, is he just saying this to himself? Is he saying to others? It's just he says in his heart, he has a guilty conscience, it's going to tell us, because he cut off John the Baptist's head. So you can imagine what those dreams are like. You think John the Baptist is risen from the dead? You go to bed at night and you have a dream. There's his head sitting on the platter in the dream saying, you thought you got me, huh? I'm coming for you. I'm coming back. You ain't getting rid of me, you know, and the head sitting on the platter talking to him. You know, his, his, his conscience is bothering him. Now, we, we bump into these Herods. You have Herod Philip, Herod Archelaus, Herod Antipas, Herod Agrippa, Herod the Great, what a mess. It's as dysfunctional as it sounds. Uh, Herod the Great certainly ruled the area, bequeathed power by Rome, not really a king, calling himself the Great. He was only about four foot 11 and he was mean as a junkyard dog. You know, sometimes just little guys with a lot of power can be scary. So Herod the Great was a great builder. They just uh, unearthed his tomb in the Herodian uh, they presumed it was there for a long time, but they've, uh, the archaeologist Spade has turned it up. Uh, he built the temple in Jerusalem, uh, enlarged it, and had been working on it about 46 years by this time. But he was mean. And uh, he, one of his favorite, favorite wives, and he had, was named Mariamne, but he had two wives named Mariamne. Um, he had about five wives, some say six, 
Aristobulus, one of his favorite sons, he had killed because he was worried about him trying to take the throne. He murdered another one of his sons. He put Mariamne's favorite wife to death, put her to death. Uh, Caesar said you'd be better off to be Herod's pig than his son because he claimed to be Idumean, half Jewish, and wouldn't eat pork. So Caesar knew that and said you're, you know, you're better off to be his pig than his son because of how ruthless he was. He gave orders when he died that I'll give a big list of notable people that were all to be slaughtered because people hated him and he knew if he died that nobody would mourn. So the day that he was to die, he gave an order that all of these people were to be slaughtered so that the, the Jerusalem would be mourning when he died. Now he was eaten of worms. He got infected and he, and he suffered a terrible death. And when he died, thank goodness, one of his commanders said, he's dead now, why should we listen to him? And people rejoiced because they weren't put to death and because he was gone. Uh, Rome divided up his kingdom between four sons called Tetrarchs, Herod Philip, Herod Antipas, Herod Archelaus, and another Herod Philip, which is different than the Tetrarch. Archelaus was, was banished because of cruelty most of the territory ended up falling to Herod Philip, who stayed in Judea, and Herod Antipas. The other Herod Philip, one of his sons, had moved to Rome. Herod Philip married one of his sister's daughter, who was his niece, who was Herodias. So when Herod, this is important, please, I'm gonna, you're going to attest after this. When Herod Agrippa traveled to Rome, he stayed in his half-brother's house, Herod Philip's house, and while his half-brother Herod Philip was busy, he got an affair with his wife, who was really his niece, and it was also Herod Agrippa's niece by a different brother, and stole her and brought her back to Judea. Well, he was married to a, a Nabataean princess, Herod Agrippa, and got rid of her to take this, his brother's wife, which is adultery, and it was his niece too. So it started a war between the Arabians and the Herodians because the king of the daughter he got rid of was mad. And then he took Herodias, the one we're going to see here, to the fortress Marcarus. Now John the Baptist said that he was an adulterer that it wasn't lawful for him to have his brother's wife and was public about that. Imagine that. John the Baptist thought that public figures should be accountable for their moral behavior. What a strange idea. Because it seems in our culture and in Washington, so many public elected officials don't want to be accountable for their moral behavior, that their ethical behavior, their moral behavior, their character is part of what we're interested in, in them being elected officials. And it should be. Well, John the Baptist was not politically correct. He wasn't working for CNN or Fox News. He was working for God. And he pointed his finger and called him a hypocrite and called him an adulterer. And Herod Agrippa was kind of staggered by John the Baptist, knew that he was a man of God, listened to him. But Herodias, his niece and his brother's wife that he was living in adultery with, 
didn't like John the Baptist because she knew that John the Baptist might be her undoing because she wanted to be married to a king and her first husband, Herod Philip, back in Rome was not given that title. Herod Agrippa was called King Agrippa, even though he wasn't really a king, and she always wanted to be a queen. So she went after the title, and she was afraid John the Baptist, if he got to her husband, Herod Agrippa, he might send her back if his conscience got too worn down by him. So putting the pressure on her husband, Herod Agrippa has him arrested and brought to this fortress called Marcaris on the other side of the Dead Sea, 3,500 feet above the Dead Sea floor. It was a pinnacle. It had a road going up to it. It was considered impregnable. Um, it was one of those fortresses like you see in the Lord of the Rings with these high walls all around it. Down in the middle of it, there was a huge deep cistern. Half of it had been used now as a dungeon. Half of it still had water and it was lavish. Inside there were, there were hot tubs and saunas and, and it, it was remarkable in its engineering. And uh, John the Baptist was being held there in the fortress Marcaris in a dark hole, a man who grew up in the wilderness, who was used to seeing the blue sky during the day and the brilliant sunsets and sunrises and being out in the open with the Lord God that he loved is now thrown into this dungeon. And he, hearing of Jesus, says, this is John the Baptist risen from the dead and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Others said that it is Elijah and others said that it is a prophet or, as, or is one of the prophets. No one's saying it's Jesus the carpenter. And when Herod heard thereof, he said, it is John, notice, whom I beheaded, he's risen from the dead. That must be a bad feeling. For Herod himself, now we go back and we're given the scene. Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison, notice, for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her, and he's also her uncle. And John the Baptist didn't mince any words and made note of that before everyone. Uh, this woman, you know, I, I, how do we respond if somebody criticizes us? How do we, if there's sin in our lives or compromise in our lives and somebody says something that stings us, how do we respond? Do we want to put them in prison and shut them up? Do we, you know, contention cometh only by pride, it says in the book of Proverbs. Do we want to fight or do we look at someone and think they care enough about me that they're telling me the truth? I'm surrounded with other people that don't care enough to confront me. This person cares enough to speak the truth right to my face. Sometimes a person like that is a godsend. Sometimes you want to send them somewhere, but sometimes they're a godsend. For John had said unto Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore, Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him, but she could not. Now, the Pharisees and Sadducees aren't saying this to Herod Agrippa. They're, they want to be in good standing politically, but Herodias wants to kill him. For Herod feared John. She couldn't do it because Herod, Agrippa, feared John 
knowing that he was a just, I'm sorry, Antipas, knowing that he was a just man and holy and observed him when he heard him, when he, when he had a chance to listen to him, he, he scrutinized him, he listened to him, and he did many things and heard him gladly. You know, even though John criticized him when he had a chance to hear him, he listened to him, he listened to the things that he said. And when a convenient day came, now this is a convenient day for Herodias, it's a convenient day for profit killing. It's a convenient day to make God's kingdom a non-profit organization. When a convenient day was come that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, his high captains, and the chief estates of Galilee. Now, the Jews didn't make a big deal about birthdays. The Gentiles did, and this is a big feast in Marcaris. So you can imagine all of the lanterns hang, hanging, lit flowers, wine, parrots, monkeys, people, roast, you know, all of the things that would accompany concubines, prostitutes, all of the things that would accompany this big Gentile bash, this feast, and makes a big deal of his birthday here. Captains, estates of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias came in, now we're told from history and Josephus that her name was Salome. She's between 14 and 15 years old, they estimate at this point in time. She's 14 and 15 years old, and her mother is going to teach her how to be sensual in front of drunk men. That's the kind of mother she has. Look, she's between 14 and 15 years old. Again, the fastest growing section of our society that's watching internet pornography is 11 to 14 year olds. Parents, you need to know what your kids are doing. Moms, you need to care enough because the culture is telling our 11 to 14 year old daughters how to dress and it isn't the way they should dress. Here, this young girl, Salome, instructed by her mother Herodias, came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him. And the king said unto the damsel, ask of me whatever you will, <laughs> pickled and drunk, and I'll give it to you, even to the half of my kingdom. So I'm glad Rome you know, Rome would certainly be glad to know that a drunk tetrarch's given away Roman territory to a belly dancer in southern Judea. Uh, and then she went forth and said to her mother, Mom, what shall I ask? Now, at the end of a feast, it was typical for dancers to come out you know, sometimes nude, they would reenact mythology. They would reenact scenes that they were familiar with from some of their pagan uh, beliefs and mythology. And Salome comes out 14 to 15 years old at the end of this and in some sensual dance pleases uh, Herod Antipas and all of his lords. So he shoots off his mouth, hey, whatever you want, just ask me, I'll give it to you to the half of the kingdom. She goes back to her mom and says, mom, what should I ask for? And she said, the head of John the Baptist.
That concludes our teaching time here on Straight from the Heart. If you enjoyed today's message from Mark chapter 6 and would like to hear it again in its entirety, you can listen to it on our website for free at www.ccphilly.org. Just go to our homepage and click on Listen to Current Messages, then select Straight from the Heart and click on the study with today's date. Today's message number is SPM 538. That's SPM 538. You can also listen to today's teaching from Mark chapter 6 or any other message from Genesis to Revelation by downloading our free app on your tablet or mobile device. Just go to your app store and search for Calvary Chapel Philadelphia or go to our website and click the link for the mobile app. In addition to our app, you can also study the Bible with Pastor Joe by subscribing to our Straight from the Heart radio podcast available on Apple, Google, and Spotify. If you have any questions or comments about today's message, or maybe would like to let us know how the Lord has blessed you through Pastor Joe's teaching, we'd love to hear your feedback. Feel free to contact us by email at radio at ccphilly.org. That's radio at ccphilly.org. For more information on this broadcast, or Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, don't forget to visit our website at ccphilly.org. While you're visiting our website, make sure you check out our Daily Devotions page. By subscribing to Daily Devotions with Pastor Joe, you can receive a short, encouraging video message every weekday morning in your email. If you prefer not to use email, you can also find Daily Devotions with Pastor Joe on our free app or by subscribing to our Daily Devos podcast. Thanks for listening and remember to join us next time as we continue with more great Bible teaching that comes straight from the heart.